0: Hello, my name is Alan Jang, and I'm the minister for the San Gabriel Valley House Church of Christ Incorporated, a missional church originally sponsored by the Culver Palms Church of Christ more than 12 years ago, but is now an independent congregation reaching out primarily to unchurched Asians and non-Asians in Southern California. Surveys show that the average house church in the United States has 21 in attendance with seven adults and 14 minors meeting in one dwelling. We started off with only five in attendance and grew to become a mega house church, twice having a house church with as many as 45 in attendance. We averaged 28 in attendance prior to the pandemic with 23 adults and only five minors, alternating with meeting at three different locations. Over the past 10 years, we've had close to 300 different members and visitors uh, see, pass through and attend our worship services. And we have produced bilingual Bible tracts and even a Bible translation and a songbook available through Amazon. My presentation, The Yellow Peril, we will address some cross-cultural communications to evangelization of Asians in America, and some ways that we can help break down some of those barriers. The principles discussed, however, can't be applied with modifications, reaching out to other cultural subgroups as well. I'm 70 years old. I'm an American-born Chinese who speaks a village variant of Cantonese Chinese. My father, after having served in the United States Army during World War II, brought my mother over from Guangdong province, and settled in Los Angeles, where I was born. In our home, we loosely followed a syncretic three-in-one doctrine, which first started in the Tang Dynasty around the ninth century, of practicing Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism side-by-side with ancestor worship. I attended Pepperdine College, learned about God, the Bible, Jesus, and New Testament Christianity, and was baptized by Dr. Carl Mitchell in 1970. My wife is the former Guente Loan, a Vietnamese converted by missionary students from Oklahoma Christian College. We have two children, Timothy and Julie, both of whom also graduated from Pepperdine University, and we have two grandsons, Julian and Jeremy. I graduated from Pepperdine with my B.A. and M.A. in Religion and Pastoral Counseling and served as a counselor, administrator, and high school science teacher at three Church of Christ-affiliated schools, uh, two public high schools, a Mennonite school, and retired from Maranatha High School in Pasadena in a teaching career that spanned 44 years. My childhood was tough. It seemed as if everybody hated Asians. First, it was because of the Japanese and Taiwanese, and uh, surprisingly, Indonesians and Thai that opposed the uh, United States during World War II. Then it was the Koreans and Chinese during the Korean War. And then it was the Laotian, Cambodian, Vietnamese during the Indochina War. When I was in middle school, I hated PE class. I would be mocked and picked upon because I was Asian. For example i would be tackled while playing football well you might ask well what's the problem with that the problem was that it was flag football where there was not supposed to be any tackling and that sometimes happened even when i didn't have the ball all those negativities revived when i as an adult went to a christian bookstore and saw a book that was acclaimed by the new york times as the top-selling nonfiction book of the 1970s decade It was The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, first published in 1970 by Zondervan. The book was first featured on a primetime television special featuring Hal Lindsey in 1974 with an audience of up to 17 million viewers. In 1976, it was adapted into a film narrated by Orson Welles and released by Pacific International. Hal Lindsey has served as a campus crusade for Christ minister for seven years at UC Berkeley and San Francisco State University, and starts at Jesus Christ Light and Power Company near UCLA to reach out to college kids. In chapter seven of his book, there is a chapter entitled The Yellow Peril, and it lays out his reasons for believing that the great enemy of God's people in the last days would be Russia and China. In Ezekiel 38, verse 1 to 3, also Revelations chapter 20, verse 7 to 9, Lindsay explains that Gog and Magog is the region in and about China. And in Daniel 11, verse 40 to 44, Lindsay identified Russia as being the king of the north, Iran as the king of the south, and China as being the king of the east, that will attack Jerusalem and Israel in the last days before Christ returns. But note that 27 years earlier, a radio evangelist in California identified the king of the East as being Japan. Well, finally, Lindsay goes over Revelations chapter 9, verse 16 to 18 in the King James Version. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. Well, Revelations chapter 9 talks about an army of 200 million at the end. People said, well, there's no country in the world large enough that can form an army of that size except for China. You see, during the 1950s and 1960s, there was real fear that because China had a runaway population explosion, that by the end of the 20th century, half the world would end up being Chinese. Well, it didn't happen. China imposed the one-child policy for a couple of decades, slowed it down, and um, they're not even close to being half. But then on Halloween 2011, the news was released. The population of the world had reached 7 billion. The United Nations released a pie chart on the world's population and it showed that of that 7 billion, 3.7 billion or 53% more than half lived in Asia. That number is now 60.4%. How scary can that be? That six out of ten people in the entire world are Asians. Well, Lindsay saw the reference to the color of fire in Hyacinth Blue and of Brimstone in verse 17 to refer to the Chinese national flag that he's envisioned emblazoned on blue camouflage, armored military vehicles. Lindsay, the final chapter, page 247. And the heads of lions mentioned in the last half of verse 17 may refer to the fact that in Chinese culture, the lion symbolizes power, wisdom, and superiority. People perform lion dances to bring good fortune and chase away evil spirits. Statues of lions are frequently installed as guardian spirits in front of public buildings and private houses, a practice found not only in China, but also in Vietnam, Korea, and parts of Japan. And lastly, Revelation chapter 9 talks about three plagues that will come from the mouth of this beast that will be like plagues that will kill millions of people. And now, because of the recent outbreak of such thing as the Hong Kong flu, the bird flu, the Asian flu, the outbreak of COVID-19 in Wuhan. People are again wondering about The Chinese or Asian connection once again. In Humanities, the magazine of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Winter 2017, volume 38, number one, Aaron Smith, a professor of American studies at the University of Texas, wrote an article entitled, The Late Great Planet Earth Made the Apocalypse a Popular Concern. It's said that many of the book's readers had first encountered it while they were teenagers. One person was quoted as saying, this book practically replaced the Bible in the church I attended in the 70s. In other cases, the books circulate underground among the young people. One reader explained that it helped create opposition between parents and elders and the youth movement that was growing in the church. And it moved the emphasis away from the church as an institution to the individual believer and how he or she feels. Unfortunately, the feelings during that time was not very positive towards Asians because of Vietnam. The late great planet Earth was uh, next to the Bible, found next to the Bible in almost every youth movement, commune, church or coffee house. And then came a fictionalized version of Lindsay's idea in a series of novels entitled Left Behind. Well, Left Behind and the late great planet Earth together sold more than 115 million copies. They are some of the most successful cultural products that Americans have created in the last 50 years, and they popularized premillennial theology to the masses. People who read these works just assumed that This was the way Christians understood, and this was the normal Christian view on the end times. Well, what should we as New Testament Christians in the 21st century, what should we do about this yellow peril? Well, first of all, although such ideas as Lindsay's are tantalizing at a time when Chinese spy satellites now outnumber those of the United States, I disagree with his premillennial ideas of the end times, and, but I will not examine his theology in this presentation. Suffice it to say that although some early church fathers may have held similar literal ideas in a simpler form known as Chileism, there were also many early church fathers who held to a non literal amillennial understanding of the end times, which is what I hold. The important issue before us is not how we should understand Lindsay's speculative ideas and all the distrust and animosity he has engendered, but how we are going to respond to Jesus' clear mandates in the Great Commission. In Mark 16, verse 14 and 16, the scriptures read, Later he, referring to Jesus, appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So how are we to implement the Great Commission? Will we go to Asia, or reach out to people that perhaps are seen so strange and peculiar perhaps be distrustful of well we should do what the lord would want us to do embrace them I mean not just Asians, but all people just as we would any other people in our community as sinners whom the lord died for first Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 to 14. And verses 24 to 26. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. And there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. It breaks my heart. Uh, A couple of years ago, I ran into an old friend of mine, an Asian but not Chinese, ran into him and he Comment He was attending this Church of Christ in Southern California. And I asked him, how how are things here? And he mentioned, he says, well, and he looked around to his left and right, and he whispered to me, he says, you know how they talk about we're all brothers in Christ? He said, well, I feel like I'm a second-class citizen here at this congregation. And that saddened me to hear that. Let's examine and see what some of the barriers are to effective outreach, not only to Asians, but to any group or subgroup of people. According to Mark Baxter in The Coming Revolution, because status quo mission won't finish the job, published by Tate Publishing in Oklahoma, 2007, page 12, he indicated that a vast majority of our evangelistic efforts seem to be misdirected. Quote, 91% of all Christian evangelism do not reach out to non-Christians, but target other Christians. Only 1% of foreign mission funding goes for work among the unevangelized and unreached people. Uh, he also continues further, that 86% of all unreached people um, lies within what is known as the 1040 region. That is between 10 and 40 degrees north latitude, stretching from West Africa across the Middle East and most of Asia. Most of the people living here are Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, or atheists. Quote from the Joshua Project. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 22, serving all men. For though I am free from all men, I made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, to those under the law as under the law, to those without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. What this means is that if you're trying to reach, uh, see people from Hispanic culture try to think and try to walk in their shoes if you try to reach out to African try to think and feel how it feels to walk in their shoes and for Asians as well there are barriers of communicating cross-culturally In a book by Dr. Richard Nesbitt, professor of psychology at Michigan, the University of Michigan, a senior research fellow at the University Institute for Social Research, the world's largest academic survey and research organization. He wrote in a book published by Simon Schuster in 2004 entitled, The Geography of Thought, How Asians and Westerners Think Differently and Why he wrote when you have a diverse group of people from different cultures you get not just different beliefs about the world but different ways of perceiving it and reasoning about it, each with its own strengths and weaknesses nesbitt discusses the substantial differences in east asian and western thought processes citing experimental historical and social evidences east asian he wrote East Asian thought tends to be more holistic. Holistic approaches attend to the entire field and make relatively little use of categories and formal logic. They also emphasize change, and they recognize contradiction and the need for multiple perspectives, searching for the middle way, the middle ground between opposing propositions. Westerners, however, are more analytic Paying attention primarily to the object and the categories to which it belongs, and using rules, including formal logic, to explain and predict behavior. In studies after studies, Nesbitt and been colleagues from China, Korea, and Japan have found that East Asians and Americans responded in qualitatively different ways to the same stimulus. In one experiment designed to test whether East Asians are more likely to attend to the hole while Westerners are more likely to focus on a particular object within the hole. Japanese and Americans viewed the same animated underwater scenes then reported what they saw. The first statements by American usually referred to um, a large fish in the foreground, or the most colorful fish, or what the fastest fish these are values in our western society that spells for success the biggest the fastest the strongest the most beautiful they would say something like uh this is what looked like a trout swimming to the right the first statement by japanese usually referred to background elements there was a lake or a pond the japanese made about 70 percent more statements than americans about background aspects of the environment and gave uh, 100% more statements about relationship with inanimate aspects of the environment. For example, saying something like, a big fish swam past some gray rocks. In another experiment, Nesbitt and colleagues found that Americans respond to contradictions by setting things in contrast, whereas Chinese respond to contradictions by trying to harmonize differences. In still another study, the researchers found that when making predictions about how people in general would be expected to behave in a given situation, Koreans were much more likely to uh, cite situational factors as reasons to someone's behavior. Americans, on the hand, were more likely to cite personality flaws as reasons for someone's behavior. These findings were experimentally verified a year later by doctors Chua, Bolin, and Nesbitt, who published Cultural Variation in Eye Movement During Scene Perception, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Volume 102, Issue number 35, August 30, 2005. What they did was that they tracked the eye movements of European cameras and native Chinese students using a special camera to determine where they look in a picture and how long they focus on a particular area. They found that the Americans looked at the object in the foreground sooner and longer. The Chinese had more eye movements, especially on the background, and back and forth glimpse between the main object and the background relationship. According to Nesbitt, they literally were seeing the world differently. And he believes that the differences are cultural. Americans are individualists. He says that we can be bulls in a China shop. He said Asians can't afford to be like that. The key thing in Chinese culture is harmony. Uh, While in the West, the key is finding ways to get things done. In ancient China, farmers developed a system of irrigated agriculture and had to get along with each other to share water. Western attitudes, on the other hand, developed in ancient Greece, where there were more people running individual farms, raising grapes and olives, and operating like individual businessmen. Aristotle, for example, he focused on objects. He would note that a rock sank in water because it had the property that he would call gravity. The Chinese, though, consider all actions and would describe why the rock sank, relative to his relationship with water which would be less dense because they relate things to the medium in which things occur the chinese at a very early time before the west did develop an understanding of the tides and understanding of magnetism Well, reinforcing the belief that the differences are cultural, when Asians raised in North America were studied, they found that they were intermediate between foreign born Asians and European Americans. And sometimes they were closer to Americans in the way they feel seen, especially uh, the longer they lived in the United States and the greater they became immersed in American culture, the more they began to think and reason like a European American. And then there's the important work of Faye Paisman and George Cada, editors of the book With Different Eyes, published by the California Academy Academic Partnership Program in 1991, which is required reading for California bilingual teacher credentialing. They quoted a study by research by the name of Robert Kaplan, who analyzed hundreds of expository compositions written in English by students whose first languages include Arabic, Chinese, Korean, and Spanish, and conclude that there were predictable differences between how they communicated. He wrote, for example, that English or Westerners tend to be very straightforward, very linear, directional, chronological in their communication. A, then B, then C, then D, then E. Pretty straightforward, easy to understand. Semitic individuals, Middle Easterners, however, tend to be repetitive, redundant, backtracking, tend to be reflective in their communication. And we see this in the Book of Psalms and the non-chronological characteristic of some of the Gospels. We in the Western world sometimes will look at it and say, ah, this is the work of editors. These are work of different people. These are mistakes. Others would say, no, it's just the normal way that Middle Easterners, Semitic individuals tend to communicate. But Westerners tend to be impatient with Semitic people, thinking, why does he keep repeating himself? Instead A to B, C, D, and E, to be A, B, uh, B, C, uh, C, D, um, then E. And how about Asians? Asians tend to be indirect or hedging, circling, as if trying to feel the listener, uh, the other person for acceptance before proceeding should they go on, or for disapproval, which then will make them just, uh, I better keep quiet. This leaves Westerners sometimes feeling bewildered since uh, Asians tend to be like starting for the peripheral, going around in circle, hedging about, and slowly moving towards the center like a bullseye, but it's spiraling in. It leads the Westerners thinking, what are you trying to get at? Or they may feel impatient. And finally, when they got it, they said, oh, so that's it. Why didn't you just say so? or they might become condescending. You know, you didn't need to say all of that. You know, you could have said that in five minutes and they'll leave Asians feeling, oh boy, uh, he must think I'm really stupid and they'll become less communicative. And the Romance language, we're talking about the Portuguese and the Spanish and the Italians. The direction the speaker is going is understood. You know where they're going. But sometimes they take scenic, picturesque detours, taken to poetically direct the listener's attention. Instead of going to A to B to C to D to E, it'll be like A to B, then to C, which is understood, but then they'll illustrate C. Then they'll further illustrate C again before moving to D and E. In a study of Australian, Vietnamese, American, and Thai high school students assigned to write a story to be read to younger children, the researchers noted that English as a first language speaker wrote in a very straightforward linear fashion in developing the plot of the story. The Vietnamese students placed less emphasis on the environment in this case, but on relationship between the characters and introspective feelings and had more extended dialogues, less action. If you want to make this into a movie, you, you may fall asleep. The Thai writers, on the other hand, conceive of narrative as intended to instruct a stated moral, a la Buddhist uh, didactics. Use illustrations to teach a moral story. They use considerably more figurative language and thought that their stories had to be true in some way. And if the Thai student had no real experience that fit the uh, assignment, sometimes they just didn't know what to do. Still, we need to recognize that there's great diversity within the Asian and Asian American population. The early generation of Chinese in America were predominantly Cantonese. Since the 1980s, the majority of Chinese in America are Mandarin speakers. But the Chinese Mandarin speakers from Taiwan are quite different from those coming from mainland China. The vast majority of Taiwanese are Buddhist and traditional in their outlooks, and their Christians tend to feel more comfortable in attending worship at a church building. Mainland Chinese, however, because of the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, tend to be atheistic, materialistic, modern in their outlooks. And Christians from the mainland tend to feel more comfortable worshiping in house churches. And there's also some dissonance between Asians from China, Japan, Korea, and Vietnam based upon historic land disputes, political distrust, and cultural snobbery. This dissonance tends not to be shared by their American born counterparts, which as I indicated earlier, tend to be quite American-like. So what are some suggestions how we can reach the Asian in your neighborhood? Well, first of all, invite them into your home. Here we have a golden opportunity that many don't realize. We have 22 million international visitors into the United States each year. Of these, some 630,000 are university students, including heads of states from 88 countries. And 60% come from the 1040 window, including from 55 countries which prohibit Christian missionaries. Now just think about that. If Christians are prohibited from entering into those countries, then aside from Christian shortwave radio, perhaps the next, next best way we can make people from that region Explore the idea of Christianity and of the Bible is by perhaps introducing them to the church and the Bible while they're here in the United States. But sadly, 90% of international students are never invited to a church service or Bible study. And 80% of those students will return to their countries having never been invited to an American home Aside from me just dropping off a package or a, a textbook for a friend. But they're never invited inside to sup, to fellowship, to laugh together, to share things together inside an American home. This is a quote from www.thetravelingteam.org. Reverse state world. Second thing we need to know is that, uh, or recommendation or suggestions that we ought to network with those interested in supporting work in the 1040 region or people, students from or related to the 1040 region. We need to increase congregational awareness, local support, and active involvement in rural work directly or indirectly related to the 1040 region or people. You can help this by inviting church leaders, missionaries, and students and other interested parties from or to these regions to meet regular church members or to give guest talks at fellowship meals, Sunday schools, mission Sundays, or even even to give sermons. We can learn a lot from them if we're willing to listen. As Dr. Carl Mitchell, former chairperson of the Department of Religion at Pepperdine University and longtime missionary to Italy once said, you have to learn to trust the mature church leaders of different cultures to know what is best for their people number three allow asian members and visitors to be simply what they are allow them to the comfort and space to do things that they typically do which may mean leave service early sit anywhere in the church auditorium that they feel comfortable In the 1990s, I sent out a survey regarding ethnic seating preference to leadership employees at 29 churches in the San Gabriel Valley area. And I received 20 replies from 11 with mostly Asian members, 4 mixed churches, and 5 churches with few Asian members. It showed that Asians, even in predominantly Asian churches, tend not to sit in the front one-third of the auditorium. They tend to sit somewhere in the middle, one-third, and they work slowly towards the back. And latecomers sometimes will have to sit up front. Caucasians tend to, however, tend to like to sit in the front half of the church building. And latecomers have to sit in the back. Why might that be the case, you might ask? It could be somewhat to, due to Taoist and Buddhist uh, cultural heritage where the front of a assembly is usually reserved for the handicapped for those who have um, difficulty hearing or difficulty seeing that they be allowed to sit up front or uh, towards the front. Number four, as necessary Use cross-cultural illustrations, stories, sermons, faces and images, and subtitles in PowerPoints, if necessary. Have bilingual Bibles and songbooks. Use an ESL, english to a 2nd language friendly Bible, such as the Common English Bible, the easy-to-read version, or today's English version. There are several types of Chinese-English parallel translation where you have one column, Chinese character uh, parallel column, you have the English translation, like an NIV or a New King James Version. Uh, you might actually even find a few Chinese pinyin. Pinyin is the Mandarin pronunciation of the Chinese character. This, uh, these translations have an advantage and allow uh, non-Chinese speakers to make uh, an attempt to be able to preach to give prayers conduct weddings funerals hospital visitations uh in in mandarin there's one chinese Pingyang, uh which is cantonese fanatics. Uh, the only problem with that one translation published in hong kong that you have one column uh, is in Chinese character, and this other column is in pinyin. There's no English. So unless you know, like, unless you know that that means, for Thessalonians, uh, an American uh, Christian or worker probably can't even make use of it for weddings and funerals or see it for Bible studies. And um, we have recently published a trilingual Chinese-English Pinyang translation. So you have Chinese character, the English, so you know where you're you're looking for, and the Cantonese pronunciation. And we've also recently produced in 2019, uh, as far as I know, the only English-Chinese Pinyin Mandarin Pinyang Cantonese hymnal, currently available so that uh, especially at Zoom people can sing uh, in Cantonese or sing in Mandarin or in English or just follow along to practice their English number five use uh, available materials such as you find in uh, see WEI, uh, World English Institute, WEI, Nations University, Friends Speak, Let's Start Talking, and other such materials to teach English using the Bible. Number six, uh, send out bilingual notices, bulletins, Bible study material. Print out your Sunday school materials uh, with uh, Asian script. If there's uh, some that you want to reach out to. However, you might ask, but uh, what if your church leaders, ministers or elders or church secretaries uh, don't know that Asian language well you can have an Asian Christian translated material or yes you can do it yourself using a language translation program judiciously what do I mean by judiciously well I'm just going to tell you how right now first thing you should do is that if you simply use Google Translate and type in a sentence you will probably communicate correctly only about two-thirds, three-fourths of the time. Ah, it's okay. But still not reliable, especially in imparting the Word of God. All right, let's go the next level higher. Let's go a level deeper. Number two. Cut out any colloquialism, innuendos, and slangs. If you do that, and a uh, Google Translate, program will probably translate what you want to communicate correctly about 85 percent of the time that's not bad let's go even further take what you just wrote minus colloquialism innuendos and slangs and rewrite your text at a third or fourth grade reading level if you do this The Google Translate will probably communicate your thoughts with greater than 90% accuracy and that's not bad. Number four, here's the key. The proof of the pie is in the eating. If you cut the uh, Asian language portion that you just translated, cut and paste it back into the input section and ask it to translate it back to you in English if it gives you a translation in English that conveys something not quite what you want to convey, then you may need to tweak your uh, original English input a couple of times to make it more simpler and clear. Now, if you repeat this process and it now can give back to you an English translation that captures your intended thoughts correctly, you're probably going to be correct more than 95% of the time. But we can do better. Number five, if you input not a sentence or a phrase, but, but input a paragraph with three or more sentences where the objects and verbs are clearly referenced, then the translation program such as Google Translate will interpret any unclear ideas in the light of the clearer references found elsewhere in the paragraph. In other words, according to context, they will perceive what you mean. Now, if the entire paragraph now makes good sense, you can probably have greater than 97 to 98% confidence in the accuracy of your Google Translation. All right, next item, number seven. Especially during this time of the pandemic, we all need to increase our virtual or Zoom church availabilities and programs to include more than just sermons and Bible studies. If you just go to sermons and Bible studies, people bounce around from one program to another, church ABC, XYZ, whether in Oklahoma, Texas, or anywhere else, and say, I'm going to choose the most exciting place to go to. But look at what World Christian Broadcasting, KNLS in Anchorage, Alaska, the King's New Life Station, what they do. They draw a wide listening audience by providing programs with not just Bible studies, but with a variety of programmings, with a variety of interests, from entertainment to sports to news, contemporary music and insights on living, sprinkle with occasional biblical application and English language instruction. Before the pandemic, uh, our house church, we serve an agape meal at every house church meeting. And fellowship in several different languages or dialects. Some went to this room and they were speaking Cantonese, some went here and they spoke Vietnamese, some went in this room and they spoke uh, Mandarin. But when we got together, when it's time for church service to start, the sermon was and still is conducted almost entirely in English, it said that songs are sung in Mandarin and Cantonese uh, as well as in English. And all the sermons are on PowerPoint with English on one column and Chinese uh, characters on the other column. And sometimes we even have Vietnamese subtitles. One Chinese national said she loves our worship because it gives her an opportunity to test her listening skills in English. She could read in Chinese and hear how we say the same thing in English. And recently, since September of the pandemic, We added a a twice-a-week Tai Chi health exercise program that has steadily increased in attendance each month. And when people want to do a YouTube search of some Tai Chi uh, techniques or form, they sometimes will see pop up, in addition to Tai Chi exercise, a few sermons in Chinese as well. Mm, It helps them think about things. Finally, last week a Tai Chi practitioner asked what's the link to your house church? I think I would like to attend and that's what it's all about. Well, we're about up for time. There's so much more that can be said. If you would like further information, would like consultation services in regards to Asian evangelism, or if you'd like to visit one of our Zoom house church worship, or even if you would like to give a guest talk or sermon for us, please don't hesitate to contact me at sgvhcoc at gmail.com. That's sgvhcoc for San Gabriel Valley House Church of Christ at gmail.com. There's no charge for this mutual ministry service, only your fellowship, and if there's an agape meal that we can sup together, that's food enough for my soul. I hope to hear from you. God bless you. May we all work together for the common cause of enlarging the kingdom of Christ here on earth. Amen.